Thank you for supporting the Ministry of Victory Outreach International. We pray this message challenges, ignites faith, and that God would fan the flame that will produce a harvest of souls throughout the world. This morning, I want you to open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. And uh, this is family month. This is the last Sunday of family month. And I, wa I want to speak on a subject that I believe is very, very important this morning. You really need to listen very closely to what I have to say this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 it says, Be ye, ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You hear that? For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord Jesus, this morning we come before you and Lord, we pray that your word will find lodging within the hearts of your people. Lord, let us open up our minds and open up our hearts so that we will be able to receive. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, in the text this morning, we have a, a very clear warning. It is a warning that we have this morning for the church. And we need to stop, look, and listen this morning to what God has to say to the church. Now the subject that I'm dealing with this morning is a hard subject, but it's one that needs to be discussed from the pulpit. There are many subjects that are very, very important within the Word of God that we as ministers of the gospel need to be responsible ministers and faithful ministers to preach on these subjects that are very, very important that are within the Word of God. In fact, the subject that we're dealing with this morning has more to do with your happiness than anything else that you can think of. And the Bible says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. And here in the Bible, it's, it's giving us instruction that we should not be unequally yoked together. In fact, the, the picture in the text is a picture of, a, of an oxen, yoke of oxen. The two heads going in one direction, both lifting the same load. And God knows what it takes to have a, a happy and, and prosperous family. And this is why we find these instructions within God's Word. Now, there are cases of unequally yoked together, many marriages that are unequally yoked together in many ways. In fact, there are some people that are unequally yoked together as far as their ages. There's some that their ages are vast difference. Others are unequally yoked together as far as their temper. 
Others are unequally yoked together as far as family background, classes, or, or culture. Others are unequally yoked together in educational training. But the Bible does not condemn it or forbid it. But the Bible does say, be not unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. The Bible has nothing, nothing to say about all these other areas that I've just mentioned, but the Bible does definitely uh, proclaim and declare that a Christian should not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. The same God who says, thou shalt not steal, says, be not unequally yoked together. A house divided, Jesus said, against itself cannot stand. And the sub so the subject that we're dealing with this morning is a very, very important subject for those that are singles that are planning on getting married and have great aspirations of uh, building a good and solid home. And at the same time, we're going to be dealing also this morning with those that have unsaved loved ones or an unsaved spouse, a husband, a wife that is unsaved. The Bible has a lot to say concerning that. Now, the unequally yoked together marriage has a threefold effect that I would like to bring out this morning. Every mixed marriage, people that are married to an unbeliever, have a threefold effect that the Bible brings out. First of all, there's that upward effect. In other words, whenever a person marries someone that is that is not a Christian, when a Christian marries someone that is a non-Christian, it has an effect upon that person's relationship with God. And the reason why it has an effect is because it's in defiance to the Word of God. Instead of being obedient, we're being disobedient when we marry someone that is a non-Christian. Just like the scripture says in 2 Corinthians, be not unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. It is very plain, explicit, and the marriage that begins in rebellion, how could God bless? God wants us to begin the right way, and, and God wants to bless every marriage. But a marriage that begins in re rebellion can hardly expect the blessings of God. So a mixed marriage or a marriage to an unbeliever can produce a loss of faith as well as a loss of fellowship. It has an effect upon our fellowship and our communion with God. Every time we're disobedient to God, every time we disobey what the Word of God has to say, it has an effect upon our prayer life, and it has also an effect upon our spiritual relationship with God. So it, it definitely has an upward effect. Now, there are many people, and I've counseled with many girls and even guys, that the answer that they give me when they want to marry somebody that's not saved, the an answer that they give me is that they say, well, but you don't know him. He's so nice. And he's so wonderful. And he's so loving. Oh, she's so nice. And she's so wonderful. And she's so loving. 
And the problem is when a person marries somebody that is an unbeliever and you are actually disobeying, it's actually a disobedience to God is because you're not willing to give that person up. And that's what God tells you to do. God tells you if that person is an unbeliever, then you shouldn't even consider that person and you should give that person up for the sake of God. So it talks about commitment. Commitment, being committed to God and being willing to give up anything that will have a detrimental effect upon your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, in talking about giving something up, everybody that comes to Christ has to give something up. What does the Bible says? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. The drunkard, or the one that, that, that is a drunkard, he loves his liquor. But when he comes to Christ, even though he loves his liquor, he gives it up. The gambler loved his dice, or the gambling table. But when he came to Christ, he gave it up. The drug addict loved his drugs. But when he comes to Christ, he gives it up. And the cholo loves his neighborhood. And his neighborhood is number one within his life. But when he comes to Christ, he's able to give it up and put Jesus Christ number one within his life. So what the Bible here is telling us that even though there are feelings that you may have for an individual, even though you may even think you love that individual, God expects you to be obedient to him and, and, and esteem his relationship, the relationship that you have with him above any other relationship that you could have. In other words, we're talking about putting Jesus Christ number one within your life. So it definitely has an upward effect. You get become very careless about the things of God when you begin to be disobedient to the things of God, to the, to the things that God expects us to do. Secondly, not only does it have an upward effect, but also it has an inward effect as well. Now what are some of the inward effects that it has? Well, there is a... There is a lack of common purpose between you and that individual that you marry. You see, there are two worlds within that home. You go in different directions. And Amos wrote, Amos writes in Amos 3, 3, says, can two walk together except they be in agreement or except they agree? And there is a problem as far as walking together and having the same mind when one person has his mind in the world and another person has his mind in the things of God. On the Lord's day, one wants to worship and the other one wants to stay sleeping on Sunday morning. One wants to give their tithes and the other says, we can't afford to give. Sunday is a, a holy day for the Christian and for the other person, it is a holiday. And in times of crisis, they are not able to come together before the throne of God and even pray together. So it has a detrimental effect. It has an inward effect upon an individual when 
you marry an unbeliever or someone that is not in Jesus Christ, someone that has not accepted Jesus as their personal uh, savior. And then number three, there's also an outward effect as well. Not only an upward effect, an inward effect, but also an outward effect. And what are the outward effects of a mixed marriage? Well, it affects your children. Not only does it affect you individually, but it also has an effect upon your children and those around you. In Genesis chapter 28 and verse 8, Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan please, it says, Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan uh, please not Isaac, his father. In other words, Esau went ahead and married people that were outside of the faith, and it pleased not his father Isaac, because God forbade it. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 4, the Israelites were forbidden to marry outsiders. And it said in, in quoting verse 4 of, of chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, for they will turn away their sons from following me that they may serve other gods. So marrying an unbeliever is the same many times of marrying his unbelief or her unbelief. And this is why there's so much pain and there's so much suffering when we disobey what the Word of God has to say concerning who we should marry. That's one of the most important decisions that anybody could make in raising a family and, and marrying someone. It's a, it's a lifetime decision and we need the wisdom of God and the direction of God if we want to have a happy home and also a prosperous home. Now there are some of you here this morning that may be saying, well, Brother Sonny, that's good advice, but it's too late for me. There are some of you this morning that maybe uh, before you were saved, you know, you, you, you married to an unbeliever and then you got saved and, that and you still are, have an unbeliever within your house. You have a, a spouse, or maybe you have a, a husband that is backslidden or you have a wife that is backslidden. Well, the Word of God has much to say about that as well. I want to just mention to you that if it's, you feel that it's too late for you, it's not too late. I want to proclaim, I want to declare to you this morning that there is hope. There is hope for that unsaved husband, and there is hope for that unsaved wife. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to be taking a look, we're going to be studying beginning in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And here we find Paul is addressing those that are in mixed marriages, those that are married to an unbeliever. Now, in verse 12, notice what he says. First, he begins to address those who are married to an unbeliever and they want to stay together. Now, even though you may have an unbeliever within your house, there are some unbelievers that sometimes say, well, they still uh, reverence their marriage and they want to stay together. And what Paul does is Paul is giving some instruction concerning those that are married to an unbeliever, but they want to stay together. And in verse 12 it says, 
But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Now, you know, when Paul brings out and he says that he speaks and not the Lord, it doesn't mean that it's not uh, inspired scripture. What he is saying is that he's not quoting the Lord. But everything that is written here within the word of God, it is a revelation from God and is also inspired. And he says over here, in other words, I'm not quoting the Lord. And then in verse 13 he says, And the woman which has a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. In fact, they probably had in mind this is why he's bringing out the teaching to the Corinthians, because as soon as they were saved, they had an unsaved loved one. If that unsaved loved one didn't get saved, they were ready to leave that person. And Paul is saying, listen, don't leave that man. Don't leave that woman. If that unsaved husband wants to stay and make the marriage go, and if that unsaved wife wants to remain within the house and wants to uh, stay with the marriage, then don't leave that person. Stick it out. And they thought that they were being defiled. And this is what happens to, to Christian, uh, when, a, when a woman is Christian and the husband is unsaved, or the husband is a Christian and the wife is unsaved, sometimes they feel very defiled. They feel dirty because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit within their lives. And there's a tendency sometimes to give up the marriage. But he's saying, listen, you don't have to give, give it up. Still have faith in God, for God is able. And notice what he says in verse 14. For the unbelieving, now this is, these are words of hope. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are holy. You're listening to Living in Victory with Pastor Sonny Argonzoni, your weekly podcast. I know you're enjoying today's message. We would love to hear how these podcasts are blessing your life. Connect with us today at SonnyArgonzoni.org. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what the Apostle Paul is bringing out. It doesn't actually mean matrimonial sanctification. But some of you just may leave this service and say, well, because I got saved, then my whole family is automatically saved. It doesn't work that way. There is no group salvation in Jesus Christ. Everybody has to individually accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. It does not mean that they are instantly saved or regenerated, but it, what it actually means is that God has begun to work in them. See, once there's someone saved within the household, the Lord comes into that home and God begins to work within that household. That's why I say to you, if you accepted Jesus Christ and your children are not saved or your husband is not saved or your, your wife is not saved and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then there is hope for you this morning because you are the one that has brought Jesus Christ within that household and within that home.
The Lord is in the home. And God is going to pour out his blessing on you. And automatically, as he pours out his blessing on you, it will spill over to the whole family. And they will become recipients also of God's blessings. You see, many of you are here this morning because just one person was saved within the home. Somebody influenced your life. I'm here this morning because of the salvation of my parents. My parents were saved because they got saved. They began to invest in me certain principles, and they began to pray and seek the presence of God for my salvation, and God was able to honor their faith. And finally, I came and accepted Jesus Christ. We have examples of that within the Word of God. We have the case of the Philippian jailer. Remember him? What happened in the Philippian jailer? All of a sudden, they told him, ye shall be saved, receive the Lord Jesus Christ, and ye shall be saved in thine household. This was the promise that was given to him. Now, it doesn't mean as the Philippian jailer accepted the Lord that his whole household accepted God at the same time. They all had to individually accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. But God has already begun the work within that household. Cornelius, when he came to Jesus Christ, he also influenced the rest of his household, and his whole household came and accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now, I want you to also look with me and turn with me in to 1 Peter this morning. 1 Peter, and there's some more instruction that we have here in 1 Peter concerning the saved person, concerning the wife. 1 Peter chapter 3. When you have it, say amen. Now listen, wives, to this instruction that Peter gives, these words of wisdom. Peter tells us how a wife should behave with a husband that doesn't want to come to church. I'll say it again. Maybe I'll get your interest this morning. Peter tells us how a wife should behave with a husband that doesn't want to come to church. How many wives are like that this morning? Raise your hand. Your husbands don't want to come to church. We have a number of them, and others don't want to commit themselves and cop out to it, but yeah. But you're here this morning. And Peter brings out two important things which are the duties of a Christian wife. Notice what he says. He says in, in verse 1 and 2, Likewise, ye wives, listen to what it says. There's that word again. Likewise, ye wives, be in what? Be in what? Let me say it again. Be in what? To your own husband, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wife, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Now, there are two things that Peter brings out that are very important, the responsibility of a wife. If your husband is not saved, then women listen to this. First of all, Peter brings the importance of the responsibility of submission. 
Peter does not say to leave them. Sometimes women right away want to leave their husbands and they say, oh man, you're of the devil and I'm not going to listen to you and I don't care what you say, but I'm not going to listen to you. I, I, I'm serving God. I'm not serving man and I'm not, definitely not serving you. I know we've had counseling. I've had counseling sessions with many couples and many wives that have become totally rebellious with their husbands. And they do it all in the name of the Lord. They even spiritualize it and they say, God first was in my life and you were of the devil and you represent the devil and I want nothing to do with you. I have to keep you in this house because you're my husband. That is as far as it goes. You say that's hard? We've dealt with cases like that. And there may be some women like that that are responding in that fashion, in that way. And what you're actually doing, you're, you're, you're just putting that person further and further and further away from God. Peter does not say to leave him. And Peter does not say to argue or nag him about coming to church, like some wives do, or to put verses of scripture all over the house and in the bathroom mirror, or to tell him now that I am a Christian and I don't have to listen to you anymore, I only listen to Jesus. This has been the complaints of some unsaved husbands when we've had counseling sessions she don't listen to me no more she don't have any respect for me because i'm not a christian she don't listen to me no more and she tells me that she listens to jesus and even sometimes she says i listen to my pastor not you get me in trouble you know and they really don't want to come to church so peter says to be subjected to your own husband. Now, in being submitted, I want to just point this out. Listen to me carefully. In being submitted to an unsaved husband, it's up to a point where you don't have to compromise, and God never expects you to compromise your Christianity or compromise your convictions. And every unsaved spouse should respect the, convi the conviction of that, that, that saved partner. Now, for instance, if he tells you, let's go dancing, well, Peter's not saying you have to be submitted and violate your convictions and go dancing. And there's some wives that have actually gone that far. And then, oh, let's go drinking, and you don't have to violate your convictions. Or, uh, or cheat and, and lie and, and do anything that is contrary to the Word of God. This is where you're submitted up to the point where you're not going to compromise your Christianity and also compromise your conviction. So there is a submission. Peter's saying, be submitted to your husband. He is still your husband, even though he's not saved. He is still your husband, and you should be submitted to your husband and also love your husband. Up to the point that you're not compromising your conviction. You're not going out and sinning because he wants you to do that. And you will find out that most husbands will have respect for the wife because of her firm convictions. 
I think they can understand that. Even though they may claim that they don't understand it and that you're a fanatic and call you a fanatic, but deep inside there's a, there's a, a, a sense of respect because of your commitment and also because of your conviction and the way that you stand uh, firm on the convictions and your experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, not only should you be submitted and be under submission, but also, Peter says, that you should be an example. Listen to what he says. He says, Likewise, wives, be subjected to your own husband, that if any obey not in word, they also may without the word be won by what? The conversation of the wife, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. In other words, be submitted. Secondly, also be an example. The best way to preach to him is through exampleship, that ye, that you may win him through your life. Be an open epistle that your life, instead of you doing the preaching verbally, that your life will be the one that will be doing the preaching. And that through your life and through your holiness and through your convictions and, and through your relationship with Jesus Christ, he may also come to Christ. And many unsaved spouses usually come to Christ because of the exampleship of that person that is saved within the household. So you need to just stay in there and stay firm and stay pressing and being that Christian, that Christian that God wants you to be, that you will be able to have that testimony that will have an effect upon his life. Now, in verse 15, look at verse 15. Uh, let's go back to the scripture that we were dealing with and look at verse 15. Okay? Verse 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 15, and we're going to be finishing with this. Now, in verse 15, it tells you, listen to what it says. Now, you say, well, what happens if he leaves me? And that's been the case with many. But if the unbeliever depart, listen to what it says. If the unbeliever depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. And then he says over in verse 16, For what knoweth thou, O wife, where thou shalt save thy husband, or how knowest thou, O man, where thou shalt save thy wife? See, what he's saying over here is this. Listen, if your husband wants to leave, if your wife wants to leave, then let them leave. Don't try to hold on to them and bribe them, or maybe through financial pressure or any other way. If that husband wants to leave, if that wife wants to leave, then let them leave and still put your faith and confidence in God. Because God has called us to peace, he says. God does not want a quarrelsome home. Sometimes instead of having a quarrelsome, ho a quarrelsome home, it is better to let that partner leave so that there could be peace within that house because the children are the ones that are being affected. And God doesn't want a home that is full of turmoil. And even when that person leaves, sometimes it is good for that person to leave. Because then they realize what they had. 
And you just keep on praying for that individual, and God is able to bring them back. And then in verse 16 it says, For what knoweth thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband, and knoweth thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Now we can interpret this in two ways. First of all, don't try to hang on to him by compromising your spiritual experience. And that's what some wives do. They don't want to let him leave. So because they don't want to lose him, they begin to compromise their spiritual experience. And Paul is saying, don't come to that place of compromising your, your spiritual experience. Let him leave. If it's going to cost you your salvation, it is better for you to be alone. You still have God. So there are some wives that they compromise because they want to keep that husband in. And then he says, for what assurance do you have that he will get saved? And even when there is compromise, there is a small chance of salvation. The more you compromise, the less, the, the less chance you have of that person accepting Jesus Christ because you're not being that example that God wants you to be. Then secondly, also, we can interpret it like this. If he leaves you, then let him go, but keep on praying for him and for his salvation and the restoration of your home, for God wants peace within your home. So there is hope for those of you that have unsaved spouse, an unsaved husband, an unsaved wife. I want to declare to you this morning that there is hope. God is still on the throne. Sometimes we want him to move quickly and work quickly, but God moves according to his divine time clock and what he expects of you as an individual and as a Christian is to be plugged in with God. The problem that we have sometimes is that the husband begins to compromise or the wife begins to compromise. You begin to give up. And then you have that give up attitude. It's never going to work out. He's never going to be saved. She's never going to be saved. Listen, we need to have hope. We need to put our trust in a God who is able to do the impossible, in a God who is able to bring restoration to a home. We have so many cases, so many miracles, so many people that testify of how God came into their home and God was able to put love again in that wife and love again in that husband. And even those that were divorced, God has been able to bring them back again and establish that home because God is a miracle-working God. This morning, there is hope for you. Now, this morning, we, we've admonished you. To, for those that are single, if you're going to get married, then get married to a Christian person. In fact, I go as far as saying I don't marry unsaved people. I don't marry mixed marriages. I don't do it because it's contrary to the Word of God. We know what I've done sometimes in my office. I say, you're not saved? Then you need to get saved. Then I've led them in the prayer of faith and they've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and then I've gone ahead and married them. But I have purpose and never have I gone ahead and married an unsaved, put an unsaved man and a, and, and a saved woman or an unsaved woman and, 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 uh, and a saved man. Mixed marriages, they don't work. It's not of God. It brings a lot of suffering. It brings a lot of pain. And they're headed, they, they're starting out in the wrong, wrong direction, starting out on the wrong foot. So this is why we need to be able to base our home 
and build our home upon the foundation which is Jesus Christ. I want you to stand with me this morning. I want the musicians to come and take their... We pray that this message has encouraged you to grow in your walk with God. To hear more messages, visit www.visionintlstore.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you.